Welcome. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to talk about hopelessness. I thought it was interesting that as John was sharing, he, he finishes with a story of a young woman who was told that uh, she was hopeless. <clears throat> I know how she felt because last night I was watching Atlanta and I felt hopeless. <laughs> but I'll get over it. But as I, uh, as I consider the scripture that we have for us today, the point that, that John made is so important that we understand. There's no such thing as hopeless in Christ. No such thing as being without hope. But we have to recognize, we have to realize, in light of what we've been looking at, Ephesians chapter 1, which is, listen, here we go, we've got all these incredible blessings in Jesus Christ. We've been elected. He has elected us. He chose us. He adopted us. He redeemed us. He saved us. And we have the power of God to the resurrection of Jesus Christ working in our lives. That's the backdrop. When we take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, that we've got to keep in our pocket. We've got to consider as we look at what God's Word lays out for us this morning, let's, let's read from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And you, He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. As we look at the first verse, we take a look. It says, and you, and then there's a group of words in italics. You guys see that? It says, and you, and then in italics, he made alive. Here's a... Lesson 101 in understanding your Bible. When the words are in italics, it means they're not there. Now, does that mean he hasn't made you alive? No, it just means that that's coming up in a few verses. And the the guys that that, um, gave us the word, they put that in italics to help us understand what's going on, what he's talking about. So let's, let's just read it without that. He says, and you, and you who were dead in trespasses and sin. He's going to lay out the the issue that there is in mankind. Listen, there's a lot of views about what the problem is with mankind. One one group would say man's, man's basically well. He just needs a good, healthy diet, some exercise, and he's going to be fine. Yeah, no vegetables. (laughs) They say he's going to be fine. There's another group that would say, well, man's sick. And, and so, man being sick, he, he just needs to address some of these social ills, and he's going to be okay. And then there's a biblical view, that man is dead. Dead. And that is a picture that we see painted throughout the scriptures. Before Christ, we are dead. Now, the last time you were in a mortuary, did you get any help from the fellows who were laying around in the mortuary? What can the dead do? 
Nothing. Isn't that interesting? The example he gives is that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. What can a dead man do to help himself out? Nothing. He's dead. He needs to be made alive. The scripture lays out for us that we're dead. One of the problems, one of the issues that he paints for us here is that death. In fact, the scripture lays out for us in 1 Timothy 5, 6, speaking of a relationship in regard to, to widows and, uh, and, and the conduct of widows, he gives us this insight. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. The idea is if your focus in your life outside of Christ is just to satisfy self, you are dead. You're not alive. You're not living. Jesus would tell Nicodemus, Nick at night in John chapter 3, Nick, unless you are born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. Nick, you're dead in your trespasses in sin. And the only way you can be made alive is through faith in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 tells us that as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. To as many as received him. Open their heart and receive the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. So the first thing he lays out for us, hey, we're, we're dead. And then in verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, and once you, in, in, in which you once walked, that, that word for walked is a word for meander. It means to wander around and not really have anywhere to go. And that according to the course of the, of the world is the winds of the world. The picture is being blown about by whatever the world's got going on. Being blown around by what's happening in the world, what the next fad is. Listen, if you live long enough, you see lots of fads. You see things go, and you see things come back, right? Who thought that some of the things that left would ever come back? But they're gonna. The 80s will rise again. What a scary thought, huh? And I was a child of that. They will rise again. Listen, when we look at it, the winds of this world, he's saying you're just lost. You're wandering around. You don't really have anything other than the world dictating what you're going to do. The winds of the world laying out for you where you should walk, how you should be, what you should do. You see, he's talking here in chapter 2 of the depravity of man. The depravity of man. First man's dead. Then he's going to say, listen, not only is man dead, but he's depraved. He's depraved. Why? What is he depraved? He's depraved by the world. That means he's corrupted from outside influence. In which you once meandered, being blown around by the winds of change within the world. We become slaves to pop culture. We decide on what we're going to wear and how we're going to talk based on what the world says what's going on in the world the influence in our lives the the main influence in our lives becomes that wind within the world where is the world guiding where is the world leading where is the world going to direct us and you find in that place man-centered religions oh we got lots of those well, you can do, the, in fact, in 1933, a group of fellows got together and they established a document called the Humanist Manifesto. And in the Humanist Manifesto, one of the main 
founding arguments that they had is, there is no God, man must save himself. We can make ourselves better, we can do better, we can... And so they have all these concepts. You go to the bookstore and tell me, when you go into self-help, if there's a lot of books in there. Self-help books for being overweight. I don't need to read a book. I know how to be overweight without them teaching me. How to be this, how to be that, how to overcome this, how to overcome that. All these self-help concepts, which what makes mankind his focus. I can make myself better. Don't, listen, don't believe the lie of the world that says, you know, if I'm unhappy now, I'll be happier when I'm thin. Really? Because I can go to any hairdresser shop and sit down, and I can watch women come in with curly hair and ha- say they'd be happy if their hair was straight. And I see the next one, a woman with straight hair come in and say she'd be happy if it was curly. And guys do the same thing. I'd only be happy if I had this in my life. I'd only be happy if I had that in my life. Listen, our lack of happiness or substance in our life is directly correlated to our walk with Jesus Christ. You want to be satisfied in life? Then learn to have a fulfilling relationship with Him, with Jesus Christ, ruling and reigning in your life. And all of a sudden, it's amazing. I don't care about any of that other stuff. Who decided one was good and the other was bad? Some, some group of people sitting in a room somewhere decide, hey, let's push ads for, and all of a sudden, this is the next thing. Listen, we are depraved by outside corruption in the world. When the Bible speaks of the world, it's speaking of that form, that, that form of worldliness that wants to bend us or drive us to be or to do uh, things outside of, of God. And when we're dead, that's the voice we want to listen to. What's the world telling me? What's the world guiding me? And then he says, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now works in the sons of disobedience. The second thing that we discover when we're dead and depraved, not only are we depraved by the world, we're depraved by the devil. We're depraved by the devil. The word lays out for us that he's the prince and the power of the air. In fact, in the scripture, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, <coughs> excuse me, which is the image of God, should shine upon them. Hey, the devil is at work in this world. Now, the devil is probably too busy to mess with any of us. He's one person. He is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. But he has a lot of folks underneath him. C.S. Lewis wrote a pretty incredible work called The Screwtape Letters in which C.S. Lewis purports to lay out for you and I that, that there are a variety of demons here and there that go about doing the work of Satan. And the scripture bears that out. And so we are depraved. Why? Because we can hear their voice. We can hear that voice, that influence, not only of the world, but the influence of the devil. What did 2 Corinthians say? The influence of the devil wants to drown out the truth of God's word. The truth of what God's word says, it'll drown that out so that we can hear. So not only are we dead and depraved, (coughs) corrupted by the world, and depraved, corrupted by the devil, which is in in the realms beyond... But then he goes on to tell us one more thing. He says, among whom 
Also, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So the the third thing we see in our depravity is we're corrupted by the flesh. You know that concept, the devil made me do it, only goes so far. Only goes so far. I heard a story about a little girl, had a little brother, and, and the little brother was pestering her, pestering her, pestering her, pestering her. So she grabbed his hair and tugged it, and then she slugged him dead in the nose. And her mama said, honey, why you let the devil let you do that to your brother? And she said, well, the devil had me pull his hair, but I'm the one who socked him in the nose. <laughs> that's true. Isn't that, the, that's a picture of how the flesh works. Guys, our flesh is corrupt. For if the flesh and blood in the flesh, no man can please God. We are dead in the flesh. But we are depraved. We're corrupted from within because inside of us, we have an appetite for destruction. And our actions follow our appetites. That appetite is is within us. We're born with that appetite. We're born with a bent toward sin. We're born sinners. So here in the first three verses, he says, listen, you're dead and you're depraved. You're depraved by the world's influence. You're depraved by the devil's influence. And you're depraved by the flesh. And then he finishes out the thought. Just in case that wasn't enough in verse 3. And were by nature children of wrath just as others. Then he says, not only are you dead and depraved, you're doomed. Children of wrath. You want to understand what the wrath of God is about? Read Isaiah 63 sometime. In fact, we're going to be studying that tonight when we, when we have Sunday evening service. We've been going through the book of Isaiah. And in essence, we see Jesus Christ treading the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God alone. And someone's going to come up to him and say, Lord, where did you get all that all over you? You ever see somebody tread a winepress? They get that grape stuff all over them. Only in Isaiah 63, it's not grapes. It's treading the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God. The scripture indicates that every human being, you and I, are born dead and depraved and doomed. Doomed to the ultimate judgment of God upon sin. For God cannot abide sin and we are born sinners with it. In our life, a part of who we are, part of our makeup, a part of everything that we do. From this, we understand the doctrine of depravity. The doctrine of depravity. What does that say? Listen, it does not mean that humans are not capable of anything good. Because Luke chapter 11 and Acts chapter 28 very clearly show us people who are lost, able to do things that you and I would reckon as good. It doesn't have anything to do with that. What does it have to do with? It doesn't have anything to do with the dignity of man because we see that that man can have dignity even in his lost state. So what is this depravity all about? What does this depravity really say? It means that man is the imperfect bearer of the divine image. Man is the imperfect bearer of the divine image and there is no part of the human being, mind, body, or soul unaffected by the fall. 
he is in every way depraved without Jesus Christ in his life. So as we were coming this morning, I'm, I'm so excited as we look at the scriptures today and, and we can have this light sermon about how we're dead, depraved, and doomed. And anybody feel better yet? <laughs> Scripture says, by nature, we are children of wrath. In John chapter 3, uh, verse 18, this is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. That section of Scripture says this is the condemnation of the world. This is why God says the world is condemned. Because light came to you, but you love the darkness instead of the light. Because your deeds are evil. Because you're dead, depraved, and doomed. It's interesting because in that scripture in the Gospel of John, that word for love is a word agapeo. It's a word traditionally used to describe the love of God. That self-sacrificing love. But here it is used of how men love the darkness rather than the light. Men sacrifice themselves to the darkness every day. Well, the story that John shared about that young woman who tried a little heroin and the next thing you knew she was hooked and her life was hopeless. Hopeless. Lost. Because what? She was willing to sacrifice herself to the dark. Just for another high. Just to make it all go away for a moment. Now, you come talk to any of the guys uh, at Celebrate Recovery, struggling with alcohol, drugs, or any of the hurts, habits, and hang-ups of life, you come talk to them, and they'll tell you, I used to sacrifice myself to the darkness. I loved how that covered up for a moment the things I was struggling with and the things I was doing. What does it tell us? Without Christ, we are dead, depraved, and doomed. We are hopeless. Hopeless, without hope. Without hope. The sentence has been passed. God has already declared the soul that sins shall die. The declaration of guilt has already been given. Jesus said the world is already condemned, right? Already in a lost state. Already dead, depraved, and and doomed. But listen... But God in his mercy has stayed the execution of man. God in his mercy has stayed the execution of man. Aren't you glad that as we study Ephesians chapter 2, we're not stopping at verse 3? Because if we did, man. I know some people were thinking, man, I thought we were done. No. I'm not going to leave you dead, depraved, and doomed. God has stayed his hand of execution. But as we work, as we, as we look together at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we see a theme. <clears throat> the theme of 
Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3 is what sin works against us. But the theme of verses 4 through 9 is what God works for us. Listen, don't ever lose your love for this phrase. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. In what you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others, but God. One of the funnest things you'll ever do is get yourself a Bible program and type that in and do a search. But God. I was hopeless, lost in sin. But God. Man, it's incredible when you consider the beauty of it. And and every preacher I've ever known loves this phrase. And every preacher I've ever heard has a but God Sermon. Because it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see what we were and where we were lost and what we didn't have. And but God turns that all around. It changes everything. It changes everything in our life. It changes everything we were struggling with. Oh, Jackie, you don't know. You don't know what I'm struggling with. Well, let's take a look at some but gods. When the situation looks hopeless... Oh, Jackie, my marriage is a mess. My marriage is a mess. It's all sideways, messed up. I don't even know how we got here. And I have no idea how to get back. And it's just hopeless. But God. Well, let's take a look in the scripture. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 20, the book of beginnings. Let's look at Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. It says, now, Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. And Abimelech of Gerar sent and took Sarah. Sounds like a mess. Abraham and Sarah married. Abraham afraid to act like they're married, so he lies and says, Sarah's really my sister. So the king of the area, Abimelech, takes Sarah into her, his harem. That's a pretty messed up marriage, isn't it? What's the next phrase start with? But God. Doesn't matter how much we mess things up. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. You know what he said? You're a dead man. Oh, that's bad. (laughs) That's bad. That's one phrase that you don't want to hear from the Lord. But isn't that what we just heard from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1? Apart from Jesus Christ, we are all dead men. Dead men. God intervened in their life. God intervened in what looked like it was hopeless. God turned around. Not only did Sarah go back to Abraham, but then Abimelech was, was kind of stoked that the whole deal was over and that he wasn't going to be dead. And he blesses them. He does rebuke Abraham for lying to him. It's a bad thing to get rebuked from an unbeliever. But the marriage was a mess. Except for God. 
but God. Kathy and my marriage was a mess. I, I dare you. And if you don't know my story, come get it from me. And you go find a marriage counselor to tell you it's going to work out. You take my story to any marriage counselor and say, this is what has happened in their marriage. How's that going to happen? How's that going to work out? Hopeless. But God, we're still here. We're still standing. Scripture goes on to tell us again. Oh, my kids. What am I going to do with my kids? I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about this relationship with my children. Well, just turn in Genesis, from Genesis 20 to Genesis 21. That's just one turn to the right. Genesis 21, verse 10 and 11. Therefore, she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Hey, Abraham's bummed. Ishmael was his firstborn. You think Abraham didn't love Ishmael? You think Abraham didn't have dreams for Ishmael? You think Abraham didn't have a plan for what he thought Ishmael would be in his relationship with his father and his relationship with God? And now his wife comes to him and says, you need to get rid of Ishmael and you need to get rid of this bondwoman, Hagar. That was his second wife. You need to get rid of her. And Abraham is bummed. This is hopeless. What's the next phrase? But God, amazing. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed will be called. Scripture goes on and the Lord says to Abraham, give Ishmael to me. Give him to me and I'll take care of him. You ever faced a problem you didn't think you could find a solution to? Well, God says of that problem, give it to me and I'll take care of it. So what did Abraham do for Ishmael? The scripture tells us he gave Ishmael a little bread and a skin of water. Abraham is probably one of the richest men in the world at this time. And he gave his son a loaf of bread and a sack of water. Because he said, I don't want my son to put his faith and trust in me. I want my son to put his faith and trust in God. So he gave the problem to the Lord. And God took care of him. God saved him. God Watched over him. Oh, you know, but what am I going to do? What am I, what am I going to do? There's more problems with my kids. I mean, you can't imagine, Jackie, the, the problems that I got with my family and with my children. I feel like I don't have control of anything. Well, the, let's turn to the right to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48, verse 21. We come to a time when a fellow, maybe you guys know him, his name is Jacob. Jacob, which means liar or deceiver, <clears throat> he's coming to the end of his life, and his kids are messed up. You know his kids are messed up, right? The 12 tribes of Israel, in case you didn't know they were messed up, they just sold their brother in slavery. That's pretty messed up. They had just slaughtered a whole town because they had uh, um, raped their sister, and then came to them to, for, for forgiveness and found the sword. All their throats cut at night after they tried to make peace. 
We look at all these things. That's messed up. The family's got problems. But here is what Israel had to say to Joseph in Genesis 48, 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, <coughs> Behold, I am dying. What's the next phrase? We'll be with you. I am dying, but God will be with you. Do you know that you can only do so much for your family, friends? Do you know you can only go so far? Do you know that you have limitations? And do you know who has none? God has no limitation. Lord, I don't know what to do with my family. I don't know what to do with this. The situation is hopeless. Israel said, <coughs> Joseph, I'm dying, but God will be with you. Is that true or not? Israel, I'm dying, but God will be with you. But God will be with you. Oh, man, you don't understand. I've been so hurt by others, so hurt and frustrated by what people have said to me or what people have done to me. Jackie, you don't understand the pain that I feel in my life. Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 50. We continue turning to the right. Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. Joseph is talking to his brothers. Remember what his brothers did to him? Sold him in slavery, right? Sold him in slavery. We're mean and cruel. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am I in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me. Next phrase. But God meant it for good. Did you hear that? You meant evil for me, but God meant it for good. Was God still working in Joseph's life in the midst of all that? Was God still doing things in his life in the hopelessness? In being in a place where, where you're dead, depraved, and doomed? Is it without hope? No, it's not without hope because God will enter into it. Because God changes it all. He changes everything. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Everybody familiar with that verse? No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Any idea what the next phrase is? But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will give you a way of escape. <clears throat> we have trials and temptations, things that we face in our life. And it might feel hopeless. I'm never going to get out of this. It's never going to change. But God. But God is faithful. He'll give you what you need. He'll do that work in your life that you need done. It doesn't have to be done by you. What can a dead man do for himself? Not much. <clears throat> we become alive in our relationship with Jesus Christ. What about if I'm facing death? Death is knocking at the door. What does God's word have to say about that? Turn to Psalms 49. Psalm 49. <clears throat> Psalm 49, 14 and 15. Like sheep, they are all laid in the grave. Death will feed on them. The upright will have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty will be consumed in the grave, far from their dwelling. What's the next phrase? But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. He will receive me. Selah. 
Even though we're facing death and destruction, even though life is hard, God is good. Always. No matter how hopeless it looks, no matter how things appear to be from the outside, it's never hopeless as long as there's an opportunity for us to reach out to God. But God will make you alive. I'm dead, I'm depraved, and I'm doomed. But God will make me alive. When I put my faith and trust in Him, when I receive Him, He makes me one of His children. He breathes life into my old broken down bones. He gives purpose to my life so that I can go and do whatever it is God is directing for me to do. Sometimes we get in this life in a place where we're just running from the Lord. What are you running from? What are you running from? What problems are you running from? 1 Samuel 23 It says, David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. But God did not deliver David to him. What are you running from? What's your Saul? What's your problem? What's the thing that's got you all bent or burnt? What is it that you're struggling with in your life? Listen, it can chase you every day of your life. But God will not allow it to overcome you. But God, who makes us alive in Him. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Excuse me, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. What's the message? Without Christ, we're dead, depraved, and doomed, but with Christ, he raises us from the dead. And we have ascended. To be seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. And he has poured out in our life riches that we need to stop and comprehend and understand. What do I have in this world that I'm holding on to so tight? What do you have that you just won't let go of? You guys ever seen them spider monkeys? My son would like one for a pet. <laughs> was watching a documentary about how they hunt monkeys. You guys heard the story how they do it? They go into the jungle and they'll get a cage. <clears throat> and in that cage they put a bunch of pretty looking stones or marbles. And they make it so that that cage is big enough that you can fit your hand in if it's open. But then if you close it, you can't pull it out. And then they just wait. They chain that box down to the ground and they wait. And as they're waiting, the monkeys come down. They see the little pretty stones. Come down and they stick their hand in the box. And they grab a handful of them pretty rocks. And then they're stuck. And here comes the hunter. He don't need a bow. He don't need a gun. He uses a bat. And that monkey won't let go 
of the pretty little stones and the fancy marbles. And he gets clubbed. So, let go of the marbles. Let go of the rocks. Don't stand there like the monkey holding on to this thing like, oh, it's so pretty, it's so good, it's so this. What are you holding on to? Death, depravity, and being doomed. What does Jesus give you? Life. Life. In Jesus we have life. In Him we have everything we need. We have satiation, satisfaction for the first time ever. We can experience that. Where is it found? In Him. I didn't say in religion. Listen, it isn't about playing church, showing up at church, doing the church thing. It's about knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's about knowing Him, giving Him rule and reign in your life. It's saying, Lord, I'm dead without you. I'm depraved without you. I'm doomed without you. And Jesus Christ, when He comes into our life, He sets us free. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you that we can come before you and we thank you for an opportunity to study your word today. And we even thank you that it feels like 120 degrees in here.